Conference Center Theater in Salt Lake City, Utah, this is the Sunday afternoon session of the 190th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Dallin H. Oaks, First Counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the Sunday afternoon session of the 190th Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Russell M. Nelson, who presides at the conference, has asked me to conduct this session. We extend our greetings to members of the church and friends everywhere, all participating in the conference. The music for this session, which was previously recorded, will be provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square under the direction of various conductors and organists. The choir will open this meeting by singing, Oh, Say What is Truth. The invocation will then be offered by Elder Paul V. Johnson of the Seventy.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we bow our heads in gratitude as we begin the final session of this wonderful General Conference. We're grateful to Thee for Thy Son, Jesus Christ, and His Atonement. We're grateful for the opportunity to listen to the messages today. We join our prayers with those around the world for the people who are suffering, and especially for those who are striving so diligently to put an end to the suffering. We pray that Thy Spirit will be with those who are speaking, and as we open our hearts and our minds, that the Spirit will witness the truthfulness of what we hear and help us as we strive to align our will with Thine. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. The choir will now favor us with softly and tenderly. After the singing, we will be pleased to hear from President Henry B. Eyring, second counselor in the First Presidency. He will be followed by Elder Jeremy R. Yagi and Elder Gary E. Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Brother Milton Camargo, first counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency, will then address us.
My dear brothers and sisters, I'm grateful to speak with you today. My hope is to give encouragement when life seems especially difficult and uncertain. For some of you, that time is now. If not, such a time will come. That is not a gloomy view. It is realistic, yet optimistic, because of God's purpose in the creation of this world. That purpose was to give his children the opportunity to prove themselves able and willing to choose the right when it is hard. In so doing, their natures would be changed and they could become more like him. He knew that would require unshakable faith in him. Much of what I know came from my family. When I was about eight years old, my wise mother asked my brother and me to pull weeds with her in our family's backyard garden. Now that seems a simple task, but we lived in New Jersey. It rained often. The soil was heavy clay. The weeds grew faster than the vegetables. I remember my frustration when the weeds broke off in my hands, their roots stuck firmly in the heavy mud. My mother and my brother were soon far ahead in their rows. The harder I tried, the more I fell behind. This is too hard, I cried out. Instead of giving sympathy, my mother smiled and said, Oh, Hal, of course it's hard. It's supposed to be. Life is a test. In that moment, I knew her words were true and we continue to be true in my future. The reason for mother's loving smile became clear years later when I read of Heavenly Father and his beloved son speaking of their purpose in creating the world and giving spirit children the opportunity of mortal life. And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And they who keep their first estate shall be added upon. And they who keep not their first estate shall not have glory in the same kingdom with those who keep their first estate. And they would keep their and they who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. You and I accepted that invitation to be tested and to prove that we would choose to keep the commandments of God when we would no longer be in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Even with such a loving invitation from our Heavenly Father, Lucifer persuaded a third of the spirit children to follow him and reject the Father's plan for our growth and eternal happiness. For Satan's rebellion, he was cast out with his followers. Now, he tries to cause as many as he can 
to turn away from God during this mortal life. Those of us who accepted the plan did so because of our faith in Jesus Christ, who offered to become our Savior and Redeemer. We must believe then that whatever mortal weaknesses we would have and whatever evil forces would be against us, the forces of good could be overwhelmingly greater. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ know and love you. They want you to return to them and become like them. Your success is their success. You have felt that love confirmed by the Holy Ghost when you have read or heard these words, open quote, for behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. God has the power to make our way easier. He fed manna to the children of Israel in their wandering to the promised land. The Lord in his mortal ministry healed the sick, raised the dead, and calmed the sea. After his resurrection, he opened the prison to them that were bound. Yet the prophet Joseph Smith, one of the greatest of his prophets, suffered in prison and was taught the lesson we all profit from and need in our recurring tests of faith. Open quote. And if thou shouldst be cast into the pit or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good, close quote. You might reasonably wonder why a loving and all-powerful God allows our mortal test to be so hard. It is because he knows that we must grow in spiritual cleanliness and stature to be able to live in his presence in families forever. To make that possible, Heavenly Father gave us a Savior and the power to choose for ourselves by faith to keep his commandments and to repent and so come unto him. The Father's plan of happiness has at its center our becoming ever more like his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. In all things, the Savior's example is our best guide. He was not exempt from the need to prove himself. He endured for all of Heavenly Father's children, paying the price for all our sins. He felt the suffering of all who have and will come into mortality. When you wonder how much pain you can endure, well, remember him. He suffered what you suffer so that he would know how to lift you up. He may not remove the burden, but he will give you strength, comfort, and hope. He knows the way. 
He drank the bitter cup. He endured the suffering of all. You are being nursed and comforted by a loving Savior who knows how to succor you in whatever tests you face. Alma taught, open quote, and he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, and this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people, and he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death which bind his people, and he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities, close quote. One way he will succor you will be to invite you always to remember him and to come unto him. He has encouraged us this way, open quote, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, close quote. The way to come unto him is to feast upon his words, to exercise faith unto repentance, to choose to be baptized, and confirmed by his authorized servant, and then to keep your covenants with God. He sends the Holy Ghost to be your companion, comforter, and guide. As you live worthy of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Lord can direct you to safety, even when you cannot see the way. For me, he has most often shown the next step or two to take. Rarely has he given me a glimpse of the distant future, but even those infrequent glimpses guide what I choose to do in daily life. The Lord explained, open quote, ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which will come hereafter and the glory which will follow much tribulation. For after much tribulation, come the blessings. The greatest blessing that will come when we prove ourselves faithful to our covenant during our trials will be a change in our natures. By choosing to keep our covenants, the power of Jesus Christ and the blessings of his atonement can work in us. Our hearts can be softened to love, to forgive, and to invite others to come unto the Savior. Our confidence in the Lord increases. Our fears decrease. Now, even with such blessings promised through tribulation, we do not seek tribulation. In the mortal experience, we will have ample opportunity to prove ourselves, to pass tests hard enough to become ever more like the Savior and our Heavenly Father. In addition, we must notice the tribulation of others and try to help. That will be especially hard when we are being sorely tested ourselves. But we will discover as we lift another's burden, even a little, 
that our backs are strengthened and we sense a light in the darkness. In this, the Lord is our exemplar. On the cross of Golgotha, having already suffered pain so great that he would have died were he not the begotten Son of God, he looked on his executioners and said to his father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. While suffering for all who had ever lived, he looked from the cross on John and on his own sorrowing mother and ministered to her in her trial. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. By his actions on that most sacred of days, he voluntarily gave his life for each of us, offering not only succor in this life, but eternal life in the time to come. I have seen people rise to great heights through proving faithful in terrible trials. Across the day, the church today are examples. People are driven to their knees by adversity. By their faithful endurance and effort, they become ever more like the Savior and our Heavenly Father. I learned another lesson from my mother. As a girl, she had diphtheria and nearly died. Later, she had spinal meningitis. Her father died young, and so my mother and her brothers helped support their mother all her life. She felt the effects of the trials of illness. In her last 10 years of life, she required multiple operations. But through it all, she proved faithful to the Lord. The only picture on her bedroom wall was of the Savior. Her last words to me and her deathbed were these. How? You sound as if you are getting a cold. Why don't you take care of yourself? At her funeral, the last speaker was Elder Spencer W. Kimball. After saying something of her trials and her faithfulness, he said essentially this. Some of you may wonder why Mildred had to suffer so much and so long. I will tell you why. It was because the Lord wanted to polish her a little more. Close quote. I express my gratitude for the many faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ who bear burdens with steady faith and who help others to bear theirs as the Lord seeks to polish them a little more. I have also expressed love and admiration for caregivers and leaders across the world who serve others while they and their families endure such polishing. I testify that we are children of a heavenly Father who loves us. I feel President Russell M. Nelson's love for us all. He is the Lord's prophet in the world today. I so testify in the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
two years ago, my youngest brother, Chad, stepped through the veil. His transition to the other side left a hole in the heart of my sister-in-law, Stephanie, their two small children, Braden and Bella, as well as the rest of the family. We found comfort in the words of Elder Neil L. Anderson in general conference the week before Chad died. In the crucible of earthly trials, patiently move forward, and the Savior's healing power will bring you light, understanding, peace, and hope. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We know we will join Chad again, but losing his physical presence hurts. Many have lost loved ones. It's hard to be patient and wait for the time we will rejoin them. The year after he died, we felt like a dark cloud overshadowed us. We sought refuge in studying our scriptures, praying with more fervency and attending the temple more frequently. The lines from this hymn capture our feelings at the time. The day dawn is breaking, the world is awaking, the clouds of night's darkness are fleeing away. Our family determined that 2020 would be a, a refreshing year. We were studying our Come, Follow Me lesson in the New Testament book of James in late November 2019 when a theme revealed itself to us. James chapter 1, verse 2 reads, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into many afflictions. In our desire to open a new year, a new decade with joy, we decided that in 2020 we would count it all joy. We felt so strongly about it that last Christmas we gifted our siblings t-shirts that said in bold letters, count it all joy. The year 2020 would surely be a year of joy and rejoicing. Well, here we are. 2020 instead brought the global COVID-19 pandemic, civil unrest, more natural disasters and economic challenges. Our Heavenly Father may be allowing us time to reflect and consider our understanding of patience and our conscious decision to choose joy. The book of James has since taken on new meaning for us. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 continue, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In our efforts to find joy in the midst of our trials, we had forgotten that having patience is the key to letting those trials work for our good. King Benjamin taught to put off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love and willing to submit to all things. Chapter 6 of Preach My Gospel teaches key attributes of Christ that we can emulate. Patience is the capacity to endure delay, trouble, opposition, or suffering without becoming angry, frustrated, or anxious. It is the ability to do God's will and accept his timing. When you are patient, you hold up under pressure and are able to face adversity calmly and hopefully. Patience' perfect work may also be illustrated in the life of one of Christ's early disciples, Simon the Canaanite. The Zealots were a group of Jewish nationalists who strongly opposed Roman rule. The Zealot movement advocated violence against their Romans, the Jewish collaborators, and the Sadducees by raiding for provisions and pursuing other activities to aid their cause. Simon the Canaanite was a Zealot. 
Imagine Simon trying to coax the Savior into taking up arms, lead a militant group, or create chaos in Jerusalem. Jesus taught, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Simon may have embraced and advocated his philosophy with zeal and passion, but the scriptures suggest that through the influence and example of the Savior, his focus changed. His discipleship of Christ became the central focus of his life's efforts. As we make and keep covenants with God, the Savior can help us to be born again, yea, born of God, changed from a carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. Of all the zealous social, religious, and political endeavors of our day, let disciple of Jesus Christ be our most pronounced and affirming affiliation. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let us also not forget, even after faithful disciples had done the will of God, they had need of patience. Just as the trying of our faith works patience within us, when we exercise patience, our faith increases. As our faith increases, so does our joy. This past March, our second daughter, Emma, like many missionaries in the church, went into mandatory isolation. Many missionaries came home. Many missionaries awaited reassignment. Many did not receive their temple blessings before departing to a field of labor. Thank you, elders and sisters. We love you. Emma and her companion in the Netherlands were stretched in those first several weeks, stretched to tears in many instances. With only brief opportunities for in-person interaction and limited outdoor exposure, Emma's reliance on God increased. We prayed with her online and asked how we could help. She asked us to connect with her friends she was teaching online. Our family began to connect online one by one with Emma's friends in the Netherlands. We invited them to join our weekly online extended family Come Follow Me study. Floor, Laura, Renska, Frake, Benjamin, Stahl, and Mohammed all have become our friends. Some of our friends from the Netherlands have entered in at the straight gate. Others are being shown the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Each week we count it all joy as we work together in our progress on the covenant path. We let patience have her perfect work in our inability to meet in person as ward families for a season. But we count as joy our family's faith increasing through new technology connections and come follow me study of the Book of Mormon. President Nelson promised your consistent efforts in this endeavor even during those moments when you feel that you are not being particularly successful, will change your life, that of your family, and the world. Where we make sacred covenants with God, the temple is temporarily closed. Where we keep covenants with God, the home is open. We have an opportunity at home to study and ponder on the exceptional beauty of temple covenants. Even in the absence of entry into that sacred physical space, 
our hearts shall greatly rejoice in consequence of the blessings which shall be poured out. Many have lost jobs. Others have lost opportunities. We joy, however, alongside President Nelson, who recently stated voluntary fast offerings from our members have actually increased, as well as voluntary contributions to our humanitarian funds. Together, we will overcome this difficult time. The Lord will bless you as you continue to bless others. Be of good cheer is the commandment from the Lord, not be of good fear. Sometimes we get impatient when we think we are, quote, doing everything right, and we still don't receive the blessings we desire. Enoch walked with God for 365 years before he and his people were translated. 365 years of striving to do everything right, and then it happened. My brother Chad's passing came just a few months after our release from presiding over the Utah Ogden mission. It was miraculous that while we were living in Southern California, of all the 417 missions we could have been assigned to in the year 2015, we were assigned to Northern Utah. The mission home was a 30-minute drive to Chad's home. Chad's cancer was diagnosed after we received our mission assignment. Even in the most trying circumstance, we knew that our Heavenly Father was mindful of us and helping us find joy. Eyewitness of the redeeming, sanctifying, humbling, and joyous power of the Savior, Jesus Christ. I witness that when we pray to our Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus, He will answer us. I witness that as we hear, hearken, and heed the voice of the Lord and His living prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, we can let patience have her perfect work and count it all joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Years ago, as a young missionary laboring in a tiny branch on the small island of Amami Oshima, Japan, one day my companion and I were ecstatic to learn that President Spencer W. Kimball would be visiting Asia and that all members and missionaries in Japan were invited to Tokyo to hear the prophet at an, at an area conference. With branch members, my companion and I excitedly began making plans for the conference, which would require a 12-hour boat ride across the East China Sea to mainland Japan, followed by a 15-hour train ride to Tokyo. Sadly, however, it was not to be. We received word from our mission president because of distance and time, my companion and I would not be able to attend the conference in Tokyo. While members of our little branch embarked for Tokyo, we stayed behind. The following days seemed quiet and empty. We held sacrament meeting alone in the small chapel while Latter-day Saints and missionaries of Japan attended the conference. My sense of personal disappointment intensified even as I joyfully listened to branch members return from the conference days later to report that President Kimball had announced a temple in Tokyo. They gushed with excitement as they shared the fulfillment of their dream. They described how upon hearing the temple announcement, members and missionaries were unable to contain their joy and spontaneously erupted into clapping their hands. 
Years have passed, but I can still remember the disappointment I felt from missing that historic meeting. In recent months, I have reflected upon this as I have observed others face deep disappointment and sorrow, far greater and deeper than mine ever was as a young missionary brought on by the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic. Earlier this year, as the pandemic accelerated, the First Presidency pledged that the church and its members will faithfully exhibit our commitment to being good citizens and good neighbors and will use an abundance of caution. Thus, we experience the suspension of church gatherings worldwide, the return of more than half the church's missionary force to their home nations, and the closure of temples throughout the church. Thousands of you were were preparing to enter the temple for living ordinances, including temple ceilings. Others of you have completed your service as missionaries early or have been temporarily released and reassigned. During this time, government and educational leaders closed schools, which consequently altered graduations and forced the cancellation of sporting, social, cultural, and educational events and activities. Many of you prepared for events that were not attended, performances that were not heard, and athletic seasons that were not played. Even more poignant are the thoughts of families who have lost loved ones during this time. Most could not hold funerals or other tender gatherings as they hoped. In short, many, many of you have dealt with heartbreaking disappointment, sorrow, and discouragement. So, how do we heal, endure, and move forward when things seemed so broken? The prophet Nephi began engraving the small plates when he was a grown man. As he looked back on his life and ministry, he offered an important reflection in the very first verse of the Book of Mormon. This verse frames an important principle for us to consider in our time. Following his familiar words, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, he writes, And having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days. As students of the Book of Mormon, we're familiar with the many afflictions to which Nephi refers. Yet following acknowledgement of his afflictions in the course of his days, Nephi gives his gospel perspective of being highly favored of the Lord in all of his days. Times of affliction and disappointment do not change the watchful eye of the Lord as he favorably looks upon us, blessing us. Lisa and I recently met virtually with about 600 missionaries in Australia, most of whom were under some measure of confinement or restriction related to COVID-19. Many working from their apartments. Together we considered individuals in the New Testament, Book of Mormon, and Doctrine and Covenants, who like them, the Lord blessed to accomplish greatness in adversity. Defined more by what they were able to do with the Lord's help in spite of their confinement and, and restriction. We read of Paul and Silas, while imprisoned in stocks, praying, singing, teaching, testifying, even baptizing the jailer. And again of Paul in Rome under house arrest for two years, during which time he continually 
expounded and testified the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Of Nephi and Lehi, the sons of Helaman, who after abuse and imprisonment were encircled by a fire of protection as the Lord's still small voice of perfect mildness did pierce their captors even to the very soul. Of Alma and Amulek in Ammonihah, who found that many did believe and began to repent and to search the scriptures, even though they were then mocked and without food, water, or clothes, bound and confined in prison. And finally, of Joseph Smith, languishing in the Liberty Jail, feeling abandoned and forsaken, then hearing the words of the Lord, these things shall be for thy good, and God shall be with you forever. Each of these understood what Nephi knew, that although they had seen many afflictions in the course of their days, yet they were highly favored of the Lord. We too can draw parallels as individual members and as a church in the way in which we have been highly favored of the Lord during the challenging times we have encountered during the past several months. As I cite these examples, let them also strengthen your testimony of the seership of our living prophet who prepared us with adjustments before any hint of a pandemic, enabling us to endure the challenges that have come. First, becoming more home-centered and church-supported. Two years ago, President Nelson said, we've become accustomed to thinking of church as something that happens in our meeting houses, supported by what happens at home. We need an adjustment to this pattern, a home-centered church supported by what takes place inside our buildings. What a prophetic adjustment. Home-centered gospel learning has been put into practice with the temporary closure of meeting houses. Even as the world begins to normalize and we return to chapels, we'll want to retain our home-centered patterns of gospel study and learning developed during the pandemic. A second example is of being highly favored of the Lord is the revelation regarding ministering in a higher and holier way. In 2018, President Nelson introduced ministering as an adjustment in the way we care for each other. The pandemic has introduced numerous opportunities to hone our ministering skills. Ministering brothers and sisters, young women and young men, and others have reached out to provide contact, conversation, yard care, meals, messages via technology, and the sacrament ordinance to bless those in need. The church itself has also been ministering to others during the pandemic with an unprecedented distribution of commodities to food banks, homeless shelters, and immigrant support centers, and with projects directed to the world's most serious hunger situations. Relief Society sisters and their families responded to the challenge of making millions of masks for healthcare workers. A final example of being blessed during adversity is finding heightened joy in the return of temple ordinances. This is best described with a story. When Sister Caitlin Palmer received her mission call last April, she was excited to be called as a missionary but felt it equally important and special to go to the temple to receive her endowment and make sacred covenants. Shortly after she scheduled her endowment, 
the announcement came that all temples would temporarily close due to the worldwide pandemic. After receiving this heartbreaking information, she then learned she would attend the MTC virtually from her home. Despite these disappointments, Caitlin focused on keeping her spirits high. In the intervening months, Sister Palmer never lost hope of attending the temple. Her family fasted and prayed that temples would open prior to her departure. Caitlin would often start her morning MTC study by saying, is today going to be the day we receive a miracle and the temples open back up? On August 10th, the First Presidency announced that Caitlin's temple would reopen for living ordinances on the exact day her early morning flight to her mission was scheduled. She would not be able to attend the temple and make her flight. With little hope for success, her family contacted Temple President Michael Valenga to see if there was any way the miracle they had been praying for could be realized. Their fasting and prayers were answered. At 2 a.m., hours before her flight departure, Sister Palmer and her family in tears were greeted at the temple doors by the smiling temple president with the words, Good morning, Palmer family. Welcome to the temple. As she completed her endowment, they were encouraged to move quickly as the next family was waiting at the temple doors. They drove directly to the airport just in time to make her flight to her mission. The temple ordinances we have missed over several months seem sweeter than previously imagined as temples around the world reopen in phases. As I close, please listen to the encouraging, enthusiastic, uplifting words of the prophet Joseph Smith. One would never guess he penned them in affliction and isolation, constrained and restricted at a home in Nauvoo, hiding from those who were seeking to illegally apprehend him, quote. Now, what do we hear in the gospel which we have received? A voice of gladness, a voice of mercy from heaven, and a voice of truth out of the earth. Glad tidings for the dead, a voice of gladness for the living and the dead. Glad tidings of great joy. Shall we not go on in so great a cause? Go forward and not backward. Courage and on, on to the victory. Let your hearts rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Let the earth break forth into singing. Close quote. Brothers and sisters, I believe that one day each of you will look back at the canceled events the sadness, disappointments, and loneliness attendant to the challenging times we are passing through, to see, it, to see it overshadowed by choice blessings and increased faith and testimonies, I believe that in this life and in the life to come, your afflictions, your Ammonihah, your Liberty Jail, will be considered for your gain. I pray that along with Nephi, we can acknowledge the afflictions in the course of our days while at the same time recognizing that we are highly favored of the Lord. I close with my testimony of Jesus Christ, who himself was no stranger to affliction and as part of his infinite atonement descended below all things. He understands our grief, pain, and desperation. He is our Savior, our Redeemer our hope, our consolation, and our deliverer. 
Of this I testify in his holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Four months ago in my study of the scriptures, I was reading about Alma's mission in Ammonihah when I came across this suggestion and come follow me. As you read about the great blessings God gave the people of Nephi, ponder the great blessings he has given you. I decided to make a list of God's blessings to me and record it in my digital version of the manual. In a matter of minutes, I had listed 16 blessings. Foremost among them were the great blessings of the Savior's mercy and atoning sacrifice on my behalf. I also wrote of the blessing I had to represent the Savior as a young missionary in Portugal and later with my loving eternal companion Patricia in the Brazil Porto Alegre South Mission where we served with 522 powerful and wonderful missionaries. Speaking of Patricia, many of the blessings I recorded that day are blessings we have enjoyed together throughout our 40 years of marriage, including our sealing in the Sao Paulo Brazil Temple our three wonderful children, their spouses, and our 13 grandchildren. My thoughts turned also to my righteous parents, who raised me in the principles of the gospel. I was reminded in particular of a moment when my loving mother knelt with me to pray by my bedside when I was around 10 years of age. She must have felt that if my prayers were going to reach my father in heaven, they would need to improve. So she said, I will pray first, and after my prayer, you pray. She continued this pattern for many nights until she was confident I had learned by principle and by practice how to speak to Heavenly Father. I'll be forever grateful to her for teaching me to pray, for I learned that my Heavenly Father hears my prayers and answers them. In fact, that was another blessing that I included in my list, the gift to be able to hear and learn the will of the Lord. An important part of Heavenly Father's plan is the opportunity to communicate with Him anytime we want. When the Savior visited the Americas after His resurrection, He repeated an invitation that He had given to His disciples in Galilee. He said, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and it shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, has given a similar invitation in our day. He said, Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, yes, the very longings of your heart. And then listen, write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you're prompted to take. As you repeat this process day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. President Nelson added, In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Why is revelation so essential to our spiritual survival? Because the world can be confusing and noisy, full of deception and distractions, 
communication with our Father in heaven enables us to sort through what is true and what is false, what is relevant to the Lord's plan for us and what is not. The world can also be harsh and heartbreaking. But as we open our hearts in prayer, we will feel the comfort that comes from our Father in heaven and the assurance that he loves and values us. The Lord said that everyone that asketh receiveth. Asking seems simple, and yet it is powerful, because it reveals our desires and our faith. However, it takes time and patience to learn to understand the voice of the Lord. We pay attention to thoughts and feelings that come to our minds and hearts, and we write them down as our prophet has counseled us to do. Recording our impressions is an important part of receiving. It helps us recall, review, and refill what the Lord is teaching us. Recently, a loved one said to me, I believe personal revelation to be true. I believe the Holy Ghost will show me all things I should do. It is easy to believe when I feel my bosom burn with undoubting conviction. But how can I have the Holy Ghost always speak to me at this level? To my loved one and to all of you, I would say that I too would like to constantly feel those strong impressions from the Spirit and always see clearly the path to follow. But I don't. However, what we might feel more often is the still small voice of the Lord whispering to our mind and heart, I am here. I love you. Go on. Do your best. I'll support you. We don't always need to know everything or see everything. This still small voice is reaffirming, encouraging, and comforting. And many times that's just what we need for the day. The Holy Ghost is real and his impressions are real, the big ones and the small ones. The Lord went on to promise, he that seeketh findeth. Seeking implies mental and spiritual effort. Pondering, testing, trying, and studying. We seek because we trust the Lord's promises. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we seek, we are humbly acknowledging that we still have much to learn. And the Lord will expand our understanding, preparing us to receive more. For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more. Finally, the Lord said, to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. To knock is to act in faith. When we actively follow him, the Lord opens the way before us. There's a beautiful hymn that teaches us to wake up and do something more than dream of our mansion above. Doing good is a pleasure, a joy beyond measure, a blessing of duty and love. Elder Gary W. Gong of the Quorum of the Twelve recently explained that revelation often comes when we are in the act of doing good. He said, as we try to reach out in service to those around us, I think the Lord gives us an extra measure of his love for them and therefore for us. I think we hear his voice. We feel him in a different way as we pray to help those around us. Because that's one of the prayers that he most wants to answer. 
That simple suggestion and come follow me to think about my blessings brought a sweet spirit and some unexpected spiritual insights. As I continued reading about Alma and his ministry in Ammonaiha, I discovered that Alma provides a good example of what it means to ask, seek, and knock. We read that Alma labored much in the spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer that he would pour out his spirit upon the people. That prayer, however, was not answered the way he hoped, and Alma was cast out of the city. Way down with sorrow, Alma was about to give up when an angel delivered this message, Blessed art thou, Alma, therefore lift up thy head and rejoice, for thou hast great cause to rejoice. The angel then told him to return to Ammonaiha and try again, and Alma returned speedily. What do we learn from Alma about asking, seeking, and knocking? We learn that prayer requires spiritual labor, and it does not always lead to the outcome we hope for. But when we feel discouraged or weighed down with sorrow, the Lord gives us comfort and strength in different ways. He may not answer all of our questions or solve all of our problems right away. Rather, he encourages us to keep trying. If we then speedily align our plan with his plan, he will open the way for us, as he did for Alma. It is my testimony that this is the dispensation of the fullness of the gospel. We can enjoy the blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have the scriptures widely available to us. We are led by prophets who teach us the will of the Lord for the difficult times we live in. In addition... We have direct access to our own revelation, so the Lord can comfort and guide us personally. As the angel said to Alma, we have great cause to rejoice. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. We invite you, wherever you may be, to join the choir in singing one verse of Guide Us, O Thou Great Jehovah. After the singing, we will hear from Elder Dale G. Renland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and Elder Kelly R. Johnson of the Seventy. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles will then address us. is the Sunday afternoon session of the 190th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. KSL-FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City.
As followers of Jesus Christ and as Latter-day Saints, we strive and are encouraged to strive to do better and be better. Perhaps you've wondered, as I have, am I doing enough? What else should I be doing? Or how can I, as a flawed person, qualify to dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness? The Old Testament prophet Micah asked the question this way, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Micah satirically wondered whether even exorbitant offerings might be enough to compensate for sin, saying, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for the sin of my soul? The answer is no. Good deeds are not sufficient. Salvation is not earned. Not even the vast sacrifices Micah knew were impossible can redeem the smallest sin. Left to our own devices, the prospect of returning to live in God's presence is hopeless. Without the blessings that come from Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, we can never do enough or be enough by ourselves. The good news, though, is that because of and through Jesus Christ, we can become enough. All people will be saved from physical death by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we turn our hearts to God, salvation from spiritual death is available to all through the atonement of Jesus Christ by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. We can be redeemed and stand pure and clean before God. As Micah explained, God hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Micah's direction on turning our hearts to God and qualifying for salvation contains three interconnected elements. Doing justly means acting honorably with God and with other people. We act honorably with God by walking humbly with Him. We act honorably with others by loving mercy. To do justly is therefore a practical application of the first and second great commandments. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. To do justly and walk humbly with God is to intentionally withdraw our hand from iniquity, walk in his statutes, and remain authentically faithful. A just person turns away from sin and toward God, makes covenants with him, and keeps those covenants. A just person chooses to obey the commandments of God, repents when falling short, and keeps on trying. When the resurrected Christ visited the Nephites, he explained that the law of Moses had been replaced by a higher law. He instructed them not to offer up sacrifices and burnt offerings any longer, but to offer a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He also promised, And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. When we receive and use the gift of the Holy Ghost after baptism, 
we can enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost and be taught all things that we should do, including how to walk humbly with God. Jesus Christ's sacrifice for sin and salvation from spiritual death are available to all who have such a broken heart and contrite spirit. A broken heart and contrite spirit prompt us to joyfully repent and try to become more like our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. As we do so, we receive the Savior's cleansing, healing, and strengthening power. We not only do justly and walk humbly with God, we also learn to love mercy the way that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ do. God delights in mercy and does not begrudge its use. In Micah's words to Jehovah, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity will have compassion upon us and will cast all sins into the depths of the sea? To love mercy as God does is inseparably connected to dealing justly with others and not mistreating them. The importance of not mistreating others is highlighted in an anecdote about Hillel the Elder, a Jewish scholar who lived in the first century before Christ. One of Hillel's students was exasperated by the complexity of the Torah. The five books of Moses with their 613 commandments and associated rabbinic writings. The student challenged Hillel to explain the Torah using only the time that Hillel could stand on one foot. Hillel may not have had great balance but accepted the challenge. He quoted from Leviticus saying, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Hillel then concluded, That which is hateful unto you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole of the Torah. The rest is commentary. Go forth and study. Always dealing honorably with others is part of loving mercy. Consider a conversation I overheard decades ago in the emergency department of Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, in the United States. A patient, Mr. Jackson, was a courteous, pleasant man who was well known to the hospital staff. He had previously been hospitalized multiple of times for the treatment of alcohol-related diseases. On this occasion, Mr. Jackson returned to the hospital for symptoms that would be diagnosed as inflammation of the pancreas caused by alcohol consumption. Toward the end of his shift, Dr. Cohen, a hardworking and admired physician, evaluated Mr. Jackson and determined that hospitalization was warranted. Dr. Cohen assigned Dr. Jones, the physician next up in rotation, to admit Mr. Jackson and oversee his treatment. Dr. Jones had attended a prestigious medical school and was just beginning her postgraduate studies. This grueling training was often associated with sleep deprivation, which likely contributed to Dr. Jones' negative response. Confronted with her fifth admission of the night, she complained loudly to Dr. Cohen. She felt it was unfair that she would have to spend many hours caring for Mr. Jackson because his predicament was, after all, self-inflicted. Dr. Cohen's emphatic response was spoken in almost a whisper. 
He said, Dr. Jones, you became a physician to care for people and work to heal them. You didn't become a physician to judge them. If you don't understand the difference, you have no right to train at this institution. Following this correction, Dr. Jones diligently cared for Mr. Jackson during the hospitalization. Mr. Jackson has since died. Both Dr. Jones and Dr. Cohen have had stellar careers. But at a critical moment in her training, Dr. Jones needed to be reminded to do justly, to love mercy, and to care for Mr. Jackson without being judgmental. Over the years, I've benefited from that reminder. Loving mercy means that we do not just love the mercy God extends to us. We delight that God extends the same mercy to others. And we follow his example. All are alike unto God, and we all need spiritual treatment to be helped and healed. The Lord has said, Ye shall not esteem one flesh above another, or one man shall not think himself above another. Jesus Christ exemplified what it means to do justly and to love mercy. He freely associated with sinners, treating them honorably and with respect. He taught the joy of keeping God's commandments and sought to lift rather than condemn those who struggled. He did denounce those who faulted him for ministering to people they deemed unworthy. Such self-righteousness offended him and still does. To be Christ-like, a person does justly, behaving honorably with both God and other people. A just person is civil in words and action and recognizes that differences in outlook or belief do not preclude genuine kindness and friendship. Individuals who do justly will not have a mind to injure one another but to live peaceably one with another. To be Christ-like, a person loves mercy. People who love mercy are not judgmental. They manifest compassion for others, especially for those who are less fortunate. They're gracious, kind, and honorable. These individuals treat everyone with love and understanding regardless of characteristics such as race, gender, religious affiliation, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, and tribal, clan, or national differences. These are superseded by Christ-like love. To be Christ-like, a person chooses God, walks humbly with Him, seeks to please Him, and keeps covenants with Him. Individuals who walk humbly with God remember what Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ have done for them. Am I doing enough? What else should I be doing? The action we take in response to these questions is central to our happiness in this life and in the eternities. The Savior does not want us to take salvation for granted. Even after we've made sacred covenants, there is a possibility that we may fall from grace and depart from the living God. So we should take heed and pray always to avoid falling into temptation. But at the same time, our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ do not want us to be paralyzed by continual uncertainty during our mortal journey, wondering whether we've done enough to be saved and exalted. They surely do not want us to be tormented by mistakes from which we've repented, 
thinking of them as wounds that never heal, or be excessively apprehensive that we might stumble again. We can assess our own progress. We can know that the course of life that we're pursuing is according to God's will when we do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. We assimilate attributes of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ into our character, and we love one another. When you do these things, you will follow the covenant path and qualify to dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Your souls will be infused with the glory of God and with the light of everlasting life. You will be filled with incomprehensible joy. I testify that God lives and that Jesus is the Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, and lovingly and joyfully extends His mercy to all. Don't you love it? In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. In reviewing the teachings of our dear prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, I found a word that he has frequently used in many talks. This word is power. In the first general conference, after he was sustained as an apostle, President Nelson talked about power. He has continued teaching about power over the years. Since we have sustained President Nelson as our prophet, he has taught about the principle of power, specifically God's power and how we can access it. He has taught how we can draw upon God's power as we minister to others, how repentance invites the power of Jesus Christ and his atonement into our lives. And how priesthood, the power and authority of God, blesses all who make and keep covenants with him. President Nelson has testified that God's power flows to all who are endowed in the temple as they keep their covenants. I was particularly moved by a challenge President Nelson gave in the April 2020 General Conference. He instructed us to study and pray to learn more about the power and knowledge with which you have been endowed or with which you will yet be endowed. In response to this challenge, I have studied and prayed and have learned some beneficial things about the power and knowledge with which I have been endowed or with which I will yet be endowed. Understanding what we must do to access God's power in our lives is not easy. But I have found it is doable by studying it out in our minds and praying for the Holy Ghost to enlighten us. Elder Richard G. Scott offered a clear definition of what the power of God is. It is the power to do more than we can do by ourselves. Filling our heart and even our soul with the word of God and the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ is crucial to drawing upon the power of God to help us in these challenging times. Without getting the word of God and faith in Jesus Christ deep into our hearts, our testimonies and faith may fail and we may lose access to the power God wants to give us. Superficial faith is insufficient. Only faith and the word of God that fill our inner soul are sufficient to sustain us and to allow us to access his power. 
As Sister Johnson and I were raising our children, we encouraged each of them to learn to play a musical instrument. But we would allow our children to take music lessons only if they did their part and practiced their instrument each day. One Saturday, our daughter, Jaylynn, was excited to go play with friends, but she had not yet practiced the piano. Knowing she had committed to practice for 30 minutes, she intended to set a timer because she did not want to practice even one minute longer than was required. As she walked by the microwave oven on her way to the piano, she paused and pushed some buttons. But instead of setting the timer, she set the microwave to cook for 30 minutes and push start. After about 20 minutes of practice, she walked back to the kitchen to check how much time was remaining and found the microwave oven on fire. She then ran into the backyard where I was doing yard work, yelling that the house was on fire. I quickly ran into the house and indeed I found the microwave oven in flames. In an effort to save our home from burning, I reached behind the microwave, unplugged it, and used the power cord to lift the burning microwave off of the counter. Hoping to be the hero and to save the day as well as our home, I swung the flaming microwave in circles with the power cord to keep it away from my body, got to the backyard, and with another swinging motion, flung the microwave out onto the lawn. There we we were able to extinguish the fiery flames with a hose. What had gone wrong? A microwave oven needs something to absorb its energy. And when nothing is on the inside to absorb the energy, the oven itself absorbs the energy, becomes hot, and may catch on fire, destroying itself in a pile of flames and ashes. Our entire microwave went up in flames and burned because there was nothing on the inside. Likewise, those who have faith in the word of God deep in their hearts will be able to absorb and overcome the fiery darts which the adversary will surely send to destroy us. Otherwise, our faith, hope, and conviction may not endure. And like the empty microwave oven, we could become a casualty. I have learned that having the word of God deep in my soul, coupled with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement, allows me to draw upon the power of God to overcome the adversary and anything he may throw at me. As we face challenges, we can rely upon the promise of the Lord taught by Paul. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We know that as a child, the Savior grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We know that as he grew older, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And we know that by the time his ministry commenced, those who heard him were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Through preparation, the Savior grew in power and was able to resist all of Satan's temptations. As we follow the Savior's example and prepare through studying the word of God and deepening our faith, we also can draw upon the power of God to resist temptations. During this time of restricted gathering that makes regular temple attendance impossible, 
I have actually made a point to continue to study and learn more about the power of God that comes to us as we make and keep temple covenants. As promised in the dedicatory prayer of the Kirtland Temple, we leave the temple armed with God's power. There is no expiration date associated with the power God bestows upon those who make and keep temple covenants or a restriction from accessing that power during a pandemic. His power diminishes in our lives only if we fail to keep our covenants and do not live in a way that allows us to continually qualify to receive his power. While serving as mission leaders with my dear wife in Thailand, Laos, and Myanmar, we witness firsthand the power of God that comes to those who make and keep sacred covenants in the temple. The Temple Patron Assistance Fund made it possible for many saints in these three countries to attend the temple after doing all they could through personal sacrifice and preparation. I recall meeting a group of 20 faithful saints from Laos at an airport in Bangkok, Thailand to help them transfer to another airport in Bangkok to catch their flight to Hong Kong. These members were brimming with excitement to finally be traveling to the house of the Lord. When we met these good saints upon their return, the added gospel maturity and associated power resulting from receiving their temple endowment and entering into covenants with God were evident. These saints clearly went forth from the temple armed with his power. This power to do more than they could do themselves gave them strength to endure the challenges of church membership in their home country and to go forth bearing exceedingly great and glorious tidings and truth as they continue building the Lord's kingdom in Laos. During the time we have not been able to attend the temple, have we each relied upon the covenants we made in the temple to set a clear, unchanging course of direction in our lives? These covenants, if kept, give us vision and expectations regarding the future and a clear determination to qualify to receive all that the Lord has promised through our faithfulness. I invite you to seek the power God wants to give you. I testify that as we seek for this power, we will be blessed with a greater understanding of the love our Heavenly Father has for us. I testify that because Heavenly Father loves you and me, he sent his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior and Redeemer. I testify of Jesus Christ, he who has all power, and do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. beloved brothers and sisters we are all eager no one more than I to hear concluding remarks from our beloved prophet President Russell M. Nelson this has been a a marvelous conference but it's the second time that COVID-19 has altered our traditional proceedings we are so tired of this contagion that we feel like tearing our hair out, Uh, and apparently some of my brethren have already begun that course of action. Please know that we do pray constantly for those who've been affected in any way, especially for any who have lost loved ones. 
everyone agrees that this has gone on much, much too long. How long do we wait for relief from hardships that come upon us? What about enduring personal trials while we wait and wait and help seems so slow in coming? Why the delay when burdens seem more than we can bear? While asking such questions, we can, if we try, hear another's cry echoing from a dank, dark prison cell during one of the coldest winters then on record in that locale. O God, where art thou? We hear from the depths of Liberty Jail. And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? How long shall thy hand be stayed? How long, O Lord? How long? So we're not the first, nor will we be the last to ask such questions. When sorrows bear down on us or an ache in our heart goes on and on. I'm not now speaking of pandemics or prisons, but of you, your family, and your neighbors who face any number of such challenges. I speak of the yearning of many who would like to be married and aren't, or who are married and wish the relationship were a little more celestial. I speak of those who have to deal with the unwanted appearance of a serious medical condition perhaps an incurable one, or who face a lifelong battle with a genetic defect that has no remedy. I speak of the continuing struggle with emotional and mental health challenges that weigh heavily on the souls of so many who suffer with them and on the hearts of those who love and suffer with them. I speak of the poor whom the Savior told us never to forget. And I speak of you waiting for the return of a child, no matter what the age, who has chosen a path different from the one you prayed he or she would take. Furthermore, I acknowledge that even this long list of things for which we might wait personally does not attempt to address the large economic, political, and social concerns that confront us collectively. Our Father in Heaven clearly expects us to address these wrenching public issues as well as the personal ones. But there will be times in our lives when even our best spiritual effort and earnest pleading prayers do not yield the victories for which we have yearned, whether that be regarding the large global matters or the small personal ones. So while we work and wait together for the answers to some of our prayers, I offer you my apostolic promise that they are heard and they are answered, though perhaps not at the time or in the way that we wanted. But they are always answered at the time and in the way 
that an omniscient and eternally compassionate parent should answer them. My beloved brothers and sisters, please understand that he who never sleeps nor slumbers cares for the happiness and ultimate exaltation of his children above all else that a divine being has to do. He is pure love, gloriously personified, and merciful Father is his name. Well, if this is the case, you might say, shouldn't his love and mercy simply part our personal Red Seas and allow us to walk through our troubles on dry ground? Shouldn't he send 21st century seagulls winging in from somewhere to gobble up all of our pesky 21st century crickets? Well, the answer to such questions is yes. God can provide miracles instantaneously. But sooner or later, we learn that the times and seasons of our mortal journey are his. And they are his alone to direct. He administers that calendar to every one of us individually. For every infirm man healed instantly as he waits to enter the pool of Bethesda, someone else will spend 40 years in the desert waiting to enter the promised land. For every Nephi and Lehi divinely protected by an encircling flame of fire for their faith, we have an Abinadi burned at a stake of flaming fire for his. And we remember that the same Elijah who in an instant called down fire from heaven to bear witness against the priests of Baal is the same Elijah who endured a period when there was no rain for years and who for a time was fed only by the skimpy sustenance that could be carried in a raven's claw. By my estimation, that can't have been anything we would call a happy meal. The point, the point is that faith means trusting God in good times and bad. Even if that includes some suffering until we see his arm revealed in our behalf. That can be difficult in our modern world when many have come to believe that the highest good in life is to avoid all suffering, that no one should ever anguish over anything. But that belief will never lead us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. With apologies to Elder Neal A. Maxwell for daring to modify and enlarge something he once said, I too suggest that one's life cannot be both faith-filled and stress-free. It simply will not work to glide naively through life saying as we sip another glass of lemonade, Lord, give me all thy choicest virtues, but be certain not to give me grief, nor sorrow, nor pain, nor opposition, 
Please do not let anyone dislike me or betray me. And above all, do not ever let me feel forsaken by thee or those I love. In fact, Lord, be careful to keep me from all the experiences that made thee divine. And then when the rough sledding by everyone else is over, please let me come and dwell with thee where I can boast about how similar our strengths and our characters are as I float along on my cloud of comfortable Christianity. My beloved brothers and sisters, Christianity is comforting, but it is often not comfortable. The path to holiness and happiness here and hereafter is a long and sometimes rocky one. It takes time and tenacity to walk it. But of course, the reward for doing so is monumental. This truth is taught clearly and persuasively in the 32nd chapter of Alma in the Book of Mormon. There this great high priest teaches that if the word of God is planted in our hearts as a mere seed, and if we care enough to water, weed, nourish, and encourage it, it will in the future bear fruit, which is most precious, sweet above all that is sweet, the consuming of which leads to a condition of no more thirst and no more hunger. Many lessons are taught in this remarkable chapter, but central to them all is the axiom that the seed has to be nourished and we must wait for it to mature. We look forward with an eye of faith to the fruit thereof, the record says. Our harvest, Alma quotes, comes by and by. Little wonder that he concludes his remarkable instruction by repeating three times a call for diligence and patience in nurturing the word of God in our hearts, waiting, as he says, with long suffering for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you. COVID and cancer, doubt and dismay, financial trouble and family trials. When will these burdens be lifted? Well, the answer is by and by. And whether that be a short period or a long one, it is not always ours to say. But by the grace of God, the blessings will come to those who hold fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That issue was settled in a very private garden on a very public hill in Jerusalem long ago. As we now hear our beloved prophet close this conference, 
May we remember, as Russell Nelson has demonstrated all of his life, that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I pray that by and by, sooner or late, these blessings will come to every one of you who seeks relief from your sorrow and freedom from your grief. I bear witness of God's love and of the restoration of his glorious gospel, which is in one way or another the answer to every issue we face in life. In the redeeming name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. At the conclusion of the conference, we express sincere appreciation to all who have worked so diligently to prepare for these services. We thank those who have spoken and those who have provided the uplifting music. The concluding speaker for this session will be our beloved prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. Following his remarks, the choir will close this conference by singing, God be with you till we meet again. The benediction will then be offered by Brother Jan E. Newman, who serves as second counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency. The conference will then be adjourned. My dear brothers and sisters, these two days of general conference have been glorious. I agree with Elder Holland as he mentioned the messages, the prayers, and the music that have all been inspired by the Lord. I am grateful to all who have participated in any way. Throughout the proceedings, I have pictured you in my mind listening to conference. I have asked the Lord to help me understand what you are feeling, worrying about, or trying to resolve. I have wondered what I might say to conclude this conference that would send you forth with the optimism about the future that I know the Lord wants you to feel. We live in a glorious age foreseen by prophets for centuries. This is the dispensation when no spiritual blessing will be withheld from the righteous. Despite the world's commotion, the Lord would have us look forward to the future with joyful anticipation. Let us not spin our wheels in the memories of yesterday. The gathering of Israel moves forward. The Lord Jesus Christ directs the affairs of his church and it will achieve its divine objectives. 
The challenge for you and me is to make certain that each of us will achieve his or her divine potential. Today, we often hear about a new normal. If you really want to embrace a new normal, I invite you to turn your heart, mind, and soul increasingly to our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Let that be your new normal. Embrace your new normal by repenting daily. Seek to be increasingly pure in thought, word, and deed. Minister to others. Keep an eternal perspective. Magnify your callings. And whatever your challenges, my dear brothers and sisters, leave each day, live each day, so that you are more prepared to meet your Maker. That is why we have temples. The Lord's ordinances and covenants prepare us for eternal life, the greatest of all of God's blessings. As you know, the COVID pandemic required a temporary closure of our temples. Then we commenced a carefully coordinated phased reopening. With phase two now in place in many temples, thousands of couples have been sealed and thousands have received their own endowments just in the past few months. We look forward to the day when all worthy members of the church can again serve their ancestors and worship in a holy temple. Now I am pleased to announce plans for the construction of six new temples to be built in the following locations. Tarawa Kiribati, Port Vila, Vanuatu, Linden, Utah, Greater Guatemala City, Guatemala, Sao Paulo East, Brazil, and Santa Cruz, Bolivia. As we build and maintain these temples, we pray that each of you will build and maintain yourself so you can be worthy to enter the Holy Temple. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, I bless you to be filled with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His peace is beyond all mortal understanding. I bless you with an increased desire and ability to obey the laws of God. I promise that as you do, you will be showered with blessings, including greater courage, increased personal revelation, sweeter harmony in your homes, and joy even amid uncertainty. May we go forward together to fulfill our divine mandate that of preparing ourselves and the world for the second coming of the Lord. I so pray with my expression of love for you in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
Dear Heavenly Father, at the close of this general conference, we thank Thee for the blessing of having been taught by Thy chosen servants. We love them and sustain them. We are thankful for the announcement of these new temples and all the temples throughout the world and the great blessing they are to this sacred work, Thy work, the work of salvation. We thank Thee for Thy Son. We love him and our faith and trust rest in him. Father, we look forward to the day when he will return to the earth with all of his holy angels. That blessed day when there will be no more sorrow and no more death. And he will wipe the tears from our eyes. But until that day, Father, we will go forth and build thy kingdom and gather scattered Israel and prepare every heart to receive him. And we say this in his sacred name, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. of the Sunday afternoon session of the 190th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music was provided by the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited.